you now to gather around the Word of God. About a month ago, we all were in the same place at the same time having our elder elections, and much like today, we also had a single service uh, that day so that we could have a congregational meeting that followed and cast our votes for the office of elder, which is what we will do today. Uh, Immediately following this service, there will be a congregational meeting to vote uh, for seven Deacons, uh, You may vote, uh, circle up the seven names when that comes, and we'll give further instructions later. Uh, last month, I took the occasion to review the biblical standards for elders. And, and, I, and I just think that it makes sense that we follow that trend and spend some time today on the biblical concept of deacons. Uh, for those of you who are visiting or from, for, for just whatever reason you don't know this, our church has both elders and deacons, and it feels like one of the more common questions that I get is this one. What is the difference between an elder and a deacon? Have you all ever heard that question? Had you asked that question at some point in time? And sometimes I'll explain what an elder is, and someone will say to me, oh, well, we have those in my last church, you see, uh, we called them deacons. You know, and I tell them what an elder is. They'll, they'll say, well, yeah, that, that's, who, that's who ran my last church. And when we talk about an elder, it feels, like, it feels like everyone knows what an elder is. Like, we don't have to do as much explaining about what an elder is. Everyone knows that elders are kind of the shepherds of the church who know the Word of God well and are charged with teaching the Scriptures and ruling the church. Some words we use to describe elders are, are teacher, shepherd. They do the work of wisdom. They rule. They oversee the church. And if you don't know this or you forgot, our church has a total of 14 elders. Uh, Jim and myself, we both uh, serve as, as pastors, but if, if you're really, really, really deep Presbyterian, you call us teaching elders as opposed to pastors, right? Because that's really we're, our, our official title is we're teaching elders. And uh, we serve as the primary teachers of the church, but we're also on session, which is a group of, of elders that meets together once a month to, to rule. And in addition to Jim and I, Lakeside has 12 other active ruling elders. And we call them ruling elders, and we call Jim and I teaching elders. Now, here's the deal, and you all need to know this, that teaching elders rule and ruling elders teach. They, they happen to be titles, but, uh, but no one looks at a ruling elder and says, you should not teach, and no one looks at a teaching elder and says, you should not rule. We kind of do those things together. Uh, last month, I taught about elders for a few reasons. The first reason was so that the church could make a biblical decision when it came to casting their votes for elders, and, and the same holds true today as we teach about deacons. The second reason that I think it's important to teach on these offices is so that our elders and our deacons are themselves reminded of the biblical standards. Um, so today, we're going to talk about deacons. Uh, what is a deacon? 
Well, if, if you were to ask 100 churches, you might get 100 different answers. In some churches, deacons make up their kind of official board or, you know, their, their ruling body like we have a session. Other churches are going to give out that title of deacon to, to like honored and revered members of the congregation who've, who've been there for a while. It's less about the nature of the work. It's just more like we need to respect this guy. In some churches, deacons are the ones that handle the money. In some churches, deacons are the ones setting policy. There's just a lot of understandings uh, for what a deacon is. But what does the Bible say about a deacon? What does it say that a deacon is? And I think that's a place where we need to start. And I think what you're going to find is a very interesting conversation. So last month, do you remember uh, I explained to you that the word presbuteros in the Greek meant what in the English? Do y'all remember? Presbuteros means what in English? No, it means elder, right? And so when we say that we're Presbyterian, what we're saying is that we're driven by elders, right? You guys, it was only a month ago. (laughs) I, I remember, I remember clearly, it was a very memorable sermon. So what you do is you take the Greek word presbuteros and you translate it into English, and you come up with the English word elder, okay? Well, the Greek word for deacon is, is diakonos, all right? That's the Greek word for deacon. And where the word presbuteros actually means elder, the word diakonos does not mean deacon. It means servant. Uh, what's happened is that instead of translating the word that means, or the word diakonos, to, to its really true meaning of, of servant, we've instead decided, I don't, I don't know who made the decision, who gets this, to transliterate it. So, so we, we've given an English representative of, of the Hebrew sounds so that we've been able to just to kind of say what it would sound like if it was said in the Greek. And just like that, like, I wonder how things would be different if instead of electing seven deacons this morning, we were electing seven servants. Like, I wonder if if just now, like, three men took their names off the ballot. They were like, I didn't know that's what that meant. (laughs) Let me show you the word uh, diakonos in the Bible, okay? Let's let's find out where it's used, how it's used. Jesus is at uh, a wedding in Canaan. And his mother Mary comes up to him. Remember this? And she says, Jesus, they've got no wine. And, uh, and, and Jesus is kind of like, you know, my, my time has not yet come. What does this have to do with me? They remember Jesus saying that? And, and, and Mary pretty much ignores Jesus. This is what really happens. She's the only person who can do such a thing, right? She ignores Jesus. And, and look what happens next. Luke 2, 5. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Y'all see that? Luke 2, 5. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, here's the deal. The word for those servants who Mary is talking to, that word is diakonos. The same word for deacons, and it has nothing to do with an office in in the church. It has nothing to do with being important or ruling or leadership. They're talking to people who were serving dinner that night. They're talking to the waiters and the waitresses, and they are diakonesses. But the word also shows up as a verb. that diakonos is a, is a noun as a verb. It's diakonio. And in Luke's gospel, 
Jesus goes to Peter's house. Jesus is at Peter's house. And if you remember one of those encounters there in Luke's gospel, Peter's mother-in-law is in the house and she's sick. The Bible says she has a high fever, okay? And, uh, but she's really sick. And scripture says that the Jesus is going to heal her. And look at this healing in Luke 4.39. Okay, we just put that up there if we have it. Luke 4.39, it says this. And he, being Jesus, stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately, uh, Peter's mother-in-law, she rose and began to serve them. Immediately after she's healed, she gets up and she begins to what? She begins to deacon them. It's the verb form of deacon. What's she doing for them? Is she she teaching them? Is she ruling them? No, she is serving them, and she's probably serving them dinner. It probably has to do with eating again like it did in the first occasion there. Remember the story of the two sisters, Mary and Martha? Mary was uh, sitting at the feet of Jesus. What was Martha doing? She was in the kitchen taking care of business. She was serving, remember? And, um, and, and she's not too happy about the fact that Mary is not helping her. Look at Luke 10, 40. But Martha was distracted with much deaconing, and she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to deacon alone? Tell her to help me deacon. I mean, that's really, that's what's happening here. Martha's getting dinner ready. She's serving everyone else. And and, and Martha says to Jesus, tell Mary to come over here and deacon with me. Once again, it's the third time we've seen it. And all three times it's about serving and primarily about serving food. Okay? You're going to see that trend continue. One one last place. And then we will move uh, to to another another part of Scripture here. But let's look uh, at Acts 6. And what's happening in Acts 6 is the church is just exploding in size. It's getting so big. And the apostles are they're proclaiming all the mighty works of God. But as the church grows, it's not just able-bodied men and women who are, who are joining the church. Like some of the people who are joining the church are widows. And really widows that can't meet their own needs. They can't take care of providing for themselves. And this really creates a, a real challenge for uh, the apostles and, and what ends up happening is that the Hellenists or the Greek speakers take great offense because they see the widows in the Greek-speaking community and they, they think they're being neglected and not being fed as well as the Jewish widows are. And, um, you know, there's some tribalism going on there. And, and basically they, they come to the apostles and they say, hey guys, how come you're not taking care of the Greek-speaking widows the way you're taking care of the Jewish-speaking widows in the same way? And, and look what happens now. We'll start in Acts 6 in the first verse. It says this. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in numbers, just blowing up, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And and what they were distributing daily was bread, okay? And food's the issue here. Uh, The Hellenists think that their widows aren't getting enough bread. And so look what happens, uh, verse 2. And the 12 summoned, the, the 12 apostles summoned the full number of disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. You know, guess what that word serve is there? It's deacon, right? 
Uh, it's an issue of time management. You've got the 12 apostles, and, and, and they're realizing that, that if they were to take the time to go and feed all the Hellenist widows, that they would be giving up their call to go and preach the gospels to the nations and to the Gentiles. And they've got to figure out how to do time management. So, so look what they do. Look back at verse 2. Is it not right that we should give up preaching the word to diacono the tables? What was needed in the early church were servants. Okay? The apostles were working to feed souls. Someone had to work to feed bellies and meet the needs of widows. And so what happened was the apostles calls every, they, they call everyone together and they pick seven men and they lay their hands upon those seven men and they appoint them to a role and an office for the first time. It had never before been an office, but, but here in, in Acts 6 it becomes an office of servant. The office of servant. And, and we didn't translate it that way. We called it the office of deacon. And maybe it would be better if we had never transliterated that word and simply just translated it and we had a board of servants. We elected servants. Do we think we would have as many people willing to serve? I like to think we would. And I think I've made my point on the etymology of the word deacon. What I want to do with our remaining time is to look at the qualifications for the office. You see, what Paul was doing um, is he was planting a network of churches all over the place. And, and we've been reading uh, uh, 1 Corinthians, and we read about how, how Paul was there for 18 months, and he planted that church. But he's doing it in all these other little ch- these places. And there's other men that are planting churches as well. Titus is planting churches. Timothy is out there planting churches and leading churches. These guys are leading churches. And Paul, in both the letter of Titus and 1 Timothy, you have Paul writing to those men, Titus and Timothy, teaching them what leadership in the church should look like. And so I want to read today from what Paul wrote to Timothy when he was telling him how to think through the leadership of a church. So we're going to be reading today in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 13. I want to invite you now to wake up, stand up, you know, move your arms and move your legs. The reason we stand, is, as you know, is not to wake up. The reason we stand is to give reverence to the Word of God. So before we, uh, we read, let's, let's pause for a moment and have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word that is revealed to us. We desire to submit our lives to it and submit ourselves to it. Will you quicken our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit that we will understand this word? We pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. First about elders, then about deacons, beginning in the first verse. The, say, uh, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone desires the office of overseer or elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into the snare of the devil. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, 
not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Paul starts this section of the letter here in, in chapter 3 by giving the qualifications for an elder. And we went over those last month. Uh, in verse 8, though, Paul begins to introduce a second category of leadership in the church being the deacon. So let's look at verse 8 together. It says this, deacons likewise. And I mean, I think you stop right there and just think similarly to an elder. In the same manner that an elders are, deacons likewise must be dignified not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. He says deacons likewise, or in the same way as elders, have standards. Those same standards that we thought about for an elder, they really apply for a deacon, almost to the letter. If you were to line up the standard for, for elder and the standard for deacon, you're going to see that almost to a, to a letter, they're the same. And, and this crushes this idea that some people have that there are differences between the requirements morally or spiritually between elders and deacons. Because I think some people think, well, like, he could be a deacon, but morally and ethically and spiritually, he's not ready to be an elder. Like, the standards there are the same. I talk to people who think that's the case, that there's a guy who's ready, who's ready to be a deacon, but he's not ready to be an elder. But once he, he, he's, he's a deacon long enough, maybe he'll learn to love Jesus more. And maybe he'll mature enough to where he's ready to be an elder. Guys, there was a, there's a standard for deacons that, that you love Jesus and, and that you are a mature believer. What Paul says is, is the elder's standard and the deacon's standard is both high. And it is not simply a place where we would consider putting someone simply because we want them to be more involved in church. Have you seen this before? Have you been to churches that will elect deacons because they really, they like the guy and they want to see him more involved in church? And if he becomes a deacon, well, then maybe he'll start coming more and be more involved. Let's explore the standards. And I think you're going to find that, that they're very similar to elder. Look again at verse 8. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, but dignified. Paul starts by talking about the character of a deacon. Paul says deacons are dignified. They're not craftsmen. They carry themselves in a respectable manner. You know guys who are, are, are crass all the time and in all things are always sarcastic. They're never serious. That is not necessarily what it says here. The King James uses the word grave instead of dignify there, that they are grave men. There, there's a seriousness to which they take care and handle their business. Paul says further of, of deacons that they are not double-tongued. 
What does it mean to be uh, double-tongued? I think the term that we might use more is, is to say that, that somebody speaks out both sides of their mouth. You ever heard that? It's kind of more of a Mississippi saying. It's kind of about being a, a, a phony, or, where when you're with one set of people, you talk a certain way, and with your another set of people, you, you speak out the other side of your mouth. So you go to church, and you, you put on the deacon vibe, and then you go out and you, to the world, and you, you forget who you are. You're, you're double-tongued. Um, but I think it also has to do with the understanding of discretion with what you say, right? Paul knew that the nature of the work of deacons would bring them uh, into the path of private matters. They might aid people with some unique personal struggles and, and, and like join people in their weakness. And, and a deacon needs to understand discretion with what they share. They need to speak with integrity. And just like Paul says for the elder, a deacon is also not given to much wine. It doesn't say that a deacon does not ever drink wine. It says not addicted to much wine. A deacon should not be a drunk. These are all issues of character. They should be dignified, not a gossip, not a drunk. And the last character trait in verse 8 is not greedy for dishonest gain. What, why do you think that it's especially important for deacons not to be greedy for dishonest gain. Why them specifically? I want to suggest to you it's because deacons in the church have often been used to handle the offerings. Even here, our deacons collect our tithes. Like, I never am around money. Deacons are always around money, friends. I mean, like, like it's, I, I have never touched a donation check or a piece of cash. The, the church is really good at insulating me from that, right? But, but our deacons, they, they do. They, they, they pass the plates here. They, they, in teams of two, go into the back. They, they count it together. There's great accountability. And Paul talks about, um, you know, having no greed for dishonest gain. Uh, listen, I want to say this, that when they count the tithes and offerings, they're so respectful, especially if they were trained by Tom Howard, Right? Tom, Tom trained them to turn the checks upside down when they get them out so that they never saw the amounts or the names written on them, you know. And, and our deacons really do those kind of things to, uh, to, to honor him, but also to honor all of us and um, the discretion of our giving. Um, and, and I hope that our discretion in your giving does not give you an excuse not to give, you know. After talking about their character, Paul's going to talk about their faith. Look at verse 9. It says this, They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. The mystery, or any mystery, is something that is once hidden and is now revealed. The mystery of the faith is the divinely revealed truth about the gospel. Paul is, is telling Timothy to find men who, who understand the gospel and are living it out in their lives, right? They, they, they hold to it. And in other words, that's what they believe and cling to, but they do so with a clear conscience. It's not that they're, they're like I said, like we talked about with being uh, double-tongued, that they're, they're, they're living differently in the world. No, they believe it, and they live it. And verse 10 says this, And let them also be tested first. And let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. So, so two things to explore in this first. The first is, is what is this testing like? And the second is, like, what is blameless? Like, really, like, what are our expectations with the word blameless? Um, 
Well, for us, testing deacons works like this, just so you know. We put on a, a list all men who are eligible and, and to, be, to be a deacon. And for us, it's a certain age, and it's being around the church for a certain amount of time, being a member, and, and that's pretty much it. You're an active member in good standing. You're of a certain age, and you've been a member of the church for a certain amount of time. And so when you get that first email from our church, and there's a lot of names on there, we don't, we don't like clean that up much. I mean, it, it, or it at all. We just, we just give it to you with those standards. And the church makes their nominations for who they think should be on the ballot. And those who get the most votes, and we have standards for this, you have to have at least five. You can't have more nominees than double of what, uh, or you can't have more on the ballot than double of what you're electing. So if we're electing seven guys, you can have a maximum of 14 guys on the ballot. Uh, and, and so whoever gets the most vote move forward being tested by the congregation. It's the first test, really. How the church, how the community feels about that person's character and that person's willingness to serve. And then we take our candidates who have been elected here. So whoever gets elected as deacon here, we take our candidates and we make them study. We give them, we give them study books. We, we hone their skills on the Word of God. And then once they have had a season, they go to some classes with Jim and I. Uh, we, we get them prepared. And they go before the elders and they are examined. And it is only after they have an oral examination before our elders that they are ordained up here and it usually happens around Christmas time so that's that's what our testing looks like here uh, but scripture does say that the deacons are to be tested but blameless if they're found blameless that, that word blameless is a strong word and that's the same word that 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 Paul gave for the office of elders so once again we see that the the standard's not that different the work of an elder is different from that of a deacon uh, the, the elder rules and teaches the deacon is a leader who serves, but the standard uh, morally for those offices is the same. Really, the only difference is that, that, that when we talk about standard for office is that an elder should be able to teach the word of God. That's the only really measurable difference we see in standard for office. Look at verse 11. We're, we're going to begin to talk about the family. It says this, Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. It, and we talked about this a little bit with the elder, but it's not necessary that a deacon is married. But if they are, their wife needs to be a woman of character. And Paul is beginning to talk about the family of a deacon just like he did with, with an elder. And the idea is that you can learn a lot about someone by watching the way that they lead their family. Look at verse 12. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. Last month, we addressed in detail what exactly it meant when Paul talked about elders being the husband of one wife. So I won't go into it in as much detail today. And if you're really curious, you can go back and find that sermon on elders and listen. But let me say this. Deacons can be single or they can be married. But if a deacon is single, they should be chaste. And if a deacon is married, they should be a faithful husband to one wife. They should love their wife in a way that, that, that honors her, and they should be devoted to her alone. Paul also instructs that deacons must manage their children well. I mean, the whole section is about deacons managing their family, and it's the same for elders. 
When we see a man who's doing all that well, it's a pretty good indication that they will serve Christ's church well. So, in conclusion, let me make just a a few final observations. Um, First, I want to tell you that the Lord calls all of his people to deacon. I, just, I need you to understand that. Like whether or not you're in an office or you're on a ballot or you're, you've been nominated, the Lord calls all of us to deacon. In other words, the Lord has called all of us to serve, even into the ones of us who are not called to the office. You do not have to be a deacon to serve. Does that make sense? Service is not something that is uniquely and solely and exclusively a ministry of the, of the deacons. Our church is, is far too active of a church for 15 guys to do all the service. And next week, I'm going to talk about the responsibility of the church member. It's going to be a really heavy sermon about what we expect our people to do. And I'm so smart, I planned it on the Sunday of Fall Fest so we can invite a bunch of new people and I can tell them what we expect out of everybody, right? I was talking to Cammie, we were on a walk. She's like, well, just change it, it's fine. I was like, no, it's already been written, let it be. Now let me talk real quick to, uh, to the church member who was preparing to cast a vote for a deacon this morning. I implore you to vote for men who are servants. I implore you to vote for men who are dignified. And as far as you can see, are blameless in their conduct. Knowing that no one is blameless before the Lord, but as far as you can tell, and, and this is important, they follow Jesus with effort. Now let me talk to the current deacons, all of you who are currently serving as a deacon. You have been uh, ordained, you've been tested, you've been examined, you've been charged to the office of servant. The rest of the church looks up to you. They look up to you to demonstrate what servant leadership looks like. You are to be the lead servants. You are to demonstrate the way of Jesus. And here's what I mean by by deacons demonstrating the way of Jesus. You ever thought about that before? In John's gospel, Jesus takes time at the the Last Supper. And you know what Jesus does? He's got just a little bit more time with his servants. It's it's the night he's going to be betrayed. It's the night he's going to be arrested. But But he's with his disciples. And he decides that he will deacon his disciples in the last moments with them. He will serve his disciples in the last moments with them. He acts like a servant. He gets down on his hands and knees and he washes their feet. Do you remember this? It's a a night of his arrest. It's the last opportunity to teach them something. And he gives them something to remember, an act that they have to remember. And, And he washes their feet. And then look what he says, John 13, 15 through 17, okay? He doesn't want them to miss it. Like, don't miss what I've done for you. He says, for I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You see, deacons are to demonstrate the way of Jesus. They lead by serving the way Jesus trained his disciples. Jesus says to his disciples, like, listen, if I can get down on on my feet as your teacher, and if I can wash your feet, surely a servant is not greater than his master. 
Surely none of us are greater than Jesus. Surely none of us are above service, my friends. And then Jesus says, in conclusion, he says, blessed are you who know these things and do them. That goes for all of us. But how much more are those who have been elected, installed, and ordained to the office of servant? Or as we have transliterated it, deacon. Lastly, I will speak to those who find their names on the ballot this morning. I don't think I've ever seen a more impressive list of names for deacon. It's in my time here for sure. Or in another church I've ever served. I mean that. It's not hot air. I do not think I've ever seen a more impressive list on a diaconate ballot. Thank you for your willingness to serve. But don't forget what this office is about. It is not about prestige, and it is not about authority. It is about the way of Jesus. It is about you taking care of widows and orphans. It's about feeding the masses. It's about being lead servants for this congregation to follow. May God add his blessing to the reading and the proclamation of his word. Let's pray. Father, how sweet your word is. How good it is. Christ, how good you are. And that last act, that getting down and washing the feet of the disciples, Lord, and then calling those who would follow you to live in that way. Blessed are those of us who know and do. Lord, thank you for the deacons of this church, the ones who serve selflessly and give of themselves to fill stomachs and to empty trash. The deacons who are about the ministry of coffee and donuts, they joke about that, Lord. And I had even some ask me, Father, if, if that was what the sermon was going to be about, and I had to answer them, yes, for it is a ministry. God, Humble our hearts and humble our deacons to the office of service. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all the church said, amen.